0: Basketball fans? Anyone? Yeah? No? Okay, like three? Awesome. Not a problem. Uh, So that happened a couple of weeks ago at uh, the NBA dunk contest which happens at All-Star Weekend that happens kind of in the middle of the season. And I show this video to you for three main reasons. The first reason is because we have a lot of uh, expecting parents, yours truly, here at Hope Des Moines, and the gentleman that just did that, his name is Hamadou Diallo, which is one of the most fantastic names I've heard in a really long time. Hamadou Diallo. So my point is, if you are an expecting parent, that name should go like at the top of the list. Kelsey, write it down. It's gonna be so great. I'm getting less than positive feedback, but still for you, maybe. We'll find out. Uh, In the long line of great uh, basketball names like Dikembe Mutombo or uh, Chris Porzingis, like really great basketball names. Uh, so, the second reason that I tell you this is because uh, that guy just jumped over another individual, which if you are not a basketball person, you likely have heard of this man by the name of Mr. Shaquille O'Neal, another great basketball name. Shaquille O'Neal is seven feet one inches tall, and the gentleman that jumped over him I think is like 6'6". Six, six. So, like, that is absolutely incredible. So, I tell you this... For the first reason was because it was a great name. Second of all is because it's a great athletic feat. And the third reason, the primary reason one might suggest, is that this perfectly sets up our Bible story for today. And those of you who know me or are here and know uh, me at Hope Des Moines, you're saying, Chris, you're flying a little too close to the sun today. I don't know if you're going to be able to get there. Don't worry. We will. Um, because this dunk contest Uh, connects to our Bible story today. The main point that I would like to suggest to us this evening is the following. God sees through our masks and our walls and meets us where we really are. God sees through our masks and our walls and meets us where we really are. So my name is Chris Kimston. If we haven't met, uh, welcome to you if you're new. Uh, I am the Young Adult Admissions Minister is my official title. A lot of people want to know what young adult means. Uh, It's not students necessarily. It's actually people in the quarter life stage of things, college age, 20s and 30s. We have our very own worship service uh, on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. So if that applies to you, there's a shameless plug for my own uh, programming. So, uh, 7 p.m. here on Tuesdays, we would love to see you uh, there. You either have to be a young adult or like young adults in general. Uh, we are open to everyone. We do not card at the door. Um, but being the young adult minister, what that also means is that I, confession time, am a part of the dreaded millennial generation. <laughs> Who, which, according to every major news outlet and most people that you ask, above a certain age are ruining everything from the diamond industry to Applebee's. Uh, but see, here's the thing. We are stereotyped as the ones. We're the, we're the digital natives, right? We're looking at screens. We're glued all the time to our phones. Uh, we get stereotyped that way. But actually, I would like to suggest this. In the 21st century, there are five words that unite all generations of people here in the 21st century. Five words. Have you seen that video? Listen. We all love to see these things. Whether it's a crazy football highlight video from my college roommate, a cute dog video sent to me from my mom, or some video of a rat in a subway from a great aunt, we all love the nature of spectacle. We all love a show we want to be amazed. That is, uh, it's certainly true for us, and I think the clip of the dunk contest that I played earlier Encom- encompasses a lot of this piece, the pieces of this kind of uh, showmanship, this kind of spectacle that, that we like to talk about. Notice, he got everybody to stand up. You know, he's, he pumped up his arms. He got everybody cheering. He put, uh, this was the big moment to win it all. We love those moments, don't we, in sports or anything else. Um, this was the thing to win it all, this dunk. And uh, so everybody got on their feet. He got everybody cheering. Uh, He jumped over a famous person that most people would know, uh, cultural references being uh, a powerful piece of spectacle. And then he was wearing a Superman jersey under his regular jersey that he ripped open. Like, come on how could this be any more of a big show? And it's, it's super fun to watch, which is one of the reasons why I show it to you, but that's the reason why it's, that video has been viewed millions and millions of times in just the last couple weeks. People are drawn to it. And in our story that you heard read earlier, we are in the second uh, chapter of the book of Mark, and I think that this has a lot to do, believe it or not, with that. So here at Lutheran Church of Hope, we're in a thing called uh, the Year of the Bible, 12 books in 12 months. Each uh, month, we're going through a different book of the Bible. We've, um, it's a great uh, time to get through these different pieces of this larger thing. In case you didn't know, this Bible, uh, no problem if you don't, uh, it's actually made up of a bunch of different texts written across a long period of time from a, written by a lot of different people. And we're in the book of Mark. Now, Mark is a gospel You might have heard that before, you know, thinking, what is a gospel? A gospel is one of four books towards the end of the Bible that tells the story of Jesus. While a lot of the Bible points to Jesus, there are just four books that kind of are a narration of his life, accounts of his life. They're written by guys uh, that they're named after. So Mark, this is the book of Mark. Now, so that's where we are. And at this point in the story, Jesus has become known for doing some pretty incredible things things. You see, he's not just a powerful teacher. You had to be really smart to be a rabbi back in the day, but he also was known for doing these fantastic kind of miracles. He was not just a powerful teacher, but he was drawing these crowds out because people were expecting something to happen. Now, an important thing to understand about this, Jesus is a part of the nation of Israel both uh, that is both a religion, like a group of religious people. It's also a nation, uh, like a like a state in and of itself. And it's an ethnic group. You are by blood a member of the tribes of Israel. So there's a lot that goes into that, and we can actually identify with that. The way that we trace our ancestry here, especially in this country, uh, we have ancestors that come from certain origins and cultural identities elements that are essential to how our families and how we grew up understand life and the world around us. Uh, I'm predominantly from Ireland, uh, from an Irish family, uh, and secondarily German, and my wife is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Swedish girl. Uh, These countries all have their very own cultural norms, their own practices, their own language, even from really serious things to really silly things. I had never heard the word ufta until I married my wife, which is... An exclamatory remark of, oh, no, uh, from from the Norwegian folks. Fun fact, you learned something already. Um, Even in the U.S., if you don't want to trace your lineage all the way back to the old country, if you grew up in different parts of this country, there are different cultural norms here in the Midwest than any other parts of of North America. I have had, uh, been blessed with the opportunity to travel a lot of different fun places, and I remember I was 16 years old, and I went to uh, New York City, the Big Apple, and there I was, and my mom's family, uh, originally from the South, so there's another cultural norm, manners were really important. I was taught, you hold doors for people. so I will never forget a woman looking just flabbergasted at me as I, a 16-year-old boy, held the door open for her in Times Square because that was just not necessarily something she was expecting. She thought I was gonna ask her for something. She thought, you know, something was wrong because that's not within their cultural practice. Uh, different parts of the world and different parts of our country and different parts of society behave and have these different understandings. We also have this thing called the Midwest Ope. Do you know about this? If you bump into somebody, you say, oh. OOP, <laughs> sorry. Oh, so sorry, you know, Ope. Um I had a friend who just moved uh, out east, and uh, he's like, people look at me weird. And he goes, I always thought it was a lie. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. You're not going to be able to unhear it now. Next time you bump into somebody, you're going to say, oh, sorry. They say, why are you Midwesterners always uh, apologizing for everything? But it's a cultural thing. And the reason I bring up any of this, not just because it's interesting... Intrinsic to the nation of Israel, the way that they understood God, they had some of the, these own presuppositions, these own understandings of God and the way that the world worked. You see, the way that God interacted with the Jewish people all throughout the history of God, which the Bible is essentially just um, a, the stories of, that follow this group of people, God's chosen people, and how God essentially bails them out over and over and over again. But the way that God does that is often through incredible means. God leads them through the desert as a pillar of fire. He splits the seas for people. God often interacts uh, with his people through these messengers in the Old Testament called prophets. And prophets not only spoke on behalf of God, but some of them could do awesome stuff. Uh, The prophet Elisha Um, both uh, rained fire down onto a pillar. Uh, Moses himself uh, turned a uh, a staff into a snake. He also, with that same staff, you know, post-snake, he got it back into a staff, uh, whacked a boulder and water just came out. He literally made it rain bread in the desert. These are incredible things. So part of the way that Jewish people at this time, the Hebrew people, the Jesus was a part of, the way that they understood how the world worked is that God showed he loved people through these incredible things. Now, they were used to spectacle. So naturally, they heard that there's this character named Jesus, who many were probably uh, familiar with at the time. In this area, they might have known Jesus the carpenter. They're like, man, Jesus the carpenter really stepped it up in life. He made great chairs before, but now he's really doing some miracles. He, they, they wanted to see him. They didn't even have the ability to tweet about him. They didn't have the ability to do any of those things the way that we spread rumors. But people still across a large amount of land knew about this Jesus character who was casting demons out, who was healing people, who was doing incredible things. Not only was he smart, but they wanted that spectacle, much like our dunk contest of getting pumped up and just wanting to see something spectacular. That's really important. So, the scripture that you heard read says that there was no room um, because they heard that this guy's here. A lot of times we hear that, you know, there's no room for Jesus or no room for people to see Jesus. We think, yeah, it's the Son of God. Like, it makes sense. But you have to keep in mind at that point, they just, that wasn't necessarily in the mind of everybody there. They just wanted to see this person who was blessed with these abilities from God they were there for the show and so then he's teaching he's doing these things then the opportunity for a miracle comes along first of all find yourself four friends who are willing to do this for you in a circumstance they couldn't get their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus they were carrying him on a mat so instead they took him up to the roof and dug a hole in the roof it sounds like crazy stuff or, you know, crazy stuff happens around here. On here, around Hope Des Moines, we just call it Wednesday. But no, they, um, so they, they tunnel through the roof. They low, lower the sky down in front of Jesus. And the moment is here that everybody has been waiting for. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open it up. I'm a big believer in the fact that if you have it in front of you, the, the words in front of you, you remember it better, you interact with it more. Uh, there are actually Bibles over there and right back there. They are free to take. If you need a Bible, grab one, take it with you. You are also allowed uh, to pull out your phone, and I will assume you're not tweeting about the weird bearded guy giving the sermon. Instead, you're pulling up the the biblical text. We're going back to what we heard read earlier, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. All right, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, this area that they were in, The people heard that he had come home. They were gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, you know, like you do, by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. So they're expecting this big miracle. Here's the big moment everyone has been waiting for. They lower the man down. Like imagine sitting in there and all of a sudden like someone's digging through the roof. A little disruptive. And they lower the man down. And here's the big moment. And they get him in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. Some people might be thinking, Jesus, That's really nice, but he can't move. Like, we're waiting for the miracle. Like, he has a few other concerns that maybe he would like to address beyond just his sin. It seemed like a very bizarre thing to say at the time. But it's important, uh, and we have to catch why this is, because God sees through our masks and walls and meets us where we really are. Because something else you need to know about Jewish culture if you were born with a malady, if you were born with a disability, uh, if something, even, even if something just happened to you and left you that way, um, it was assumed that you or your family, the righteousness of your family or lack thereof had gotten you there. Likely you deserved to be that way. And at that time it was actually even assumed that the sin of a past family member, a murder or, a, or, or an act of theft from back in the day, from an ancestor, could man, that sin could manifest in the form of a, a malady to a, a person later down the lineage. Like, so your great-grandson had this physical ailment because their great-grandpa did this terrible thing years ago. It was just assumed that they deserved it. Now, there are terrible remnants of that in our culture. Sometimes we see someone and assume that they just got themselves in some position, but uh, we, we understand today that bad things just happen to good people, amen? See, it's hard. And so, but the reason I bring this up is because that's kind of what everybody was thinking in this room when this man gets brought in. This man gets brought in and he he deserved to be there, right? But they're like, they're waiting for Jesus, you know, to, uh, to do something incredible. It was crazy back then to assume that even though they were going to be healed, see, God still healed people, but like the sin of the, the family was still a major thing. It was still there. It doesn't just go away. God just shows that he's cool by healing people through prophets. But we were to talk about sin as about talking about something way different. The idea that someone sins, their faults, their wrongs perpetuated in their family for years and years, the idea that that was going to be absolved is crazy. So don't miss this point. Everyone wanted Jesus to perform some big miracle so that they could see something fantastic. But Jesus, in talking about sin, showed that he was there to address the bigger, more central issue, just like he does with us here today. And guess what? It made people super mad. Uh, If we go back to our scripture reading, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 6, I believe is where we left off. Um, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. How can, who can forgive sins, but God alone, he's just supposed to be the miracle guy. Like, like all the other miracle guys, he's talking about sin now. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? What they wanted him to say, which was get up and take your mat and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven? I want you to know that the Son of Man, which is a name Jesus had for himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus wants us to know that he is not here to play games. He's not here to wow people. That's not why he was doing it. It wasn't for any sense of notoriety. He wasn't there to be an an entertainer, to win any trophies, to gain any status. He was there to meet people where they were really at. And that's what we endeavor to do with this church as well, is to meet people where they're at. It's not about the spectacle. Now, we uh, undoubtedly have people visiting us here tonight, and you might say to yourself, uh excuse me, if you're not here for the spectacle, aren't you guys the church that rented out Wells Fargo Arena a couple years ago? (laughs) And I would say yes. But lest you think this is some slick, uh, perfectly produced production of some sort of show, I am going to tell you the inside story of what it was actually like at Wells Fargo Arena two years ago. So what happened was... We rented out Wells Fargo Arena. We're like, some people are going to show up, and it's going to be awesome. And guess what? It was. Uh, but s- people kept showing up. We weren't actually supposed to have access to the top areas of it. It was actually like, like roped off. Like we were never supposed to use it. But too many people showed up, and it became a fire hazard. So we had to put them somewhere. That's insane. Now, when something like that happens, you run out of one critical resource very quickly, and that is offering baskets. Um, that seems like a strange thing to say, but that's what I was in charge of. So I was there um, helping to navigate and kind of manage like, some ushers, and I was like, I had my section down. We were like, man, we, we had it down. We had our system down, and then somebody came up to me, and they're like, Chris, I'm like, yeah, what's up? And they're like, we need some ushers up there because we weren't even supposed to be up there, but it's full now. And I said, all right, which ones, sections do you need? And he goes, all of them. And I said, oh dear. So I went and I found uh, some like ripped off the top of some like paper supply boxes. I didn't find them in the trash. They were next to the trash. And so I'm running up there with my staff badge on, r- running up to people going, this is for offering. And they look at the box and they look at me like, yeah, buddy, sure it is. I'm like opening to the second page of the bulletin, like, no, pastoral staff, see, my face is right there. <laughs> see, jolly, like, that's me, it's me. This is real. The, the thing, the reason that I tell this point is that it's not for us about how many people show up to anything. We didn't know how many people were gonna show up here tonight. We literally had the conversation of like, we had a ton of people at noon. And we were like, maybe everybody came at noon. Who knows, maybe it'll be just like a nice small family gathering. Hello, people out in the lobby. Like, shout out to you guys. Like, people show up not because this is some perfect show. Lord knows that is not the case. People showed up to Wells Fargo Arena not because of the spectacle of it. Maybe some people were curious about that, but guess what? Church happened when we were there. People were there because they're broken and they needed something more. Even if they wouldn't articulate it that way themselves, they knew that there was something more to life. They knew that there was something more to this thing about this guy that lived a long time ago, this thing about God, this thing about the Bible, this thing about these people uh, who go to this church of Lutheran Church of Hope that they find friendships and they find healing and they're fighting together to try to make a better community. They knew that there was something more. We're all broken and that's why we're here. We're not here today because it's like good to go to church today, right? Right? It's Ash Wednesday, so I should probably go to church, you know. You're not here so that, you know, when we, uh, so when you head back to, well, I said head back to work at noon, but like when you head back to dinner or whatever and you've like got the, the, the Ash Cross, you don't like part your hair special. You're like, ah, yes, uh, look how spiritual I am, everyone. Like it's, it's not like the badge of honor in that way. It's not to be better than anybody. It's not any of that. We're here because we're broken. The reality of Ash Wednesday is that we're realizing that life is short, that we are imperfect, and that there's more out there than just the surface level of everyday life. Ash Wednesday is about more, about realizing that, yes, we are indeed mortal, but that there's more to life now, not just death later. The the reality of Lent, this We kick off tonight, so this is the first night of Lent, this whole season leading up to Easter. The reality of this season is that we worship a Jesus that is about more than just the everyday. We are saved from our wrongdoings, our brokenness, and our shame. I don't know what you walked in here with today. Whether it's a big or a small thing, we all need a little bit of fresh life. I don't know what you walked in here with today, but you are loved by a God that loves you for who you are, who sees past the walls you put up to try to convince everybody else that everything is perfectly fine. God sees past that and loves you to, despite anything we could ever do. We worship a God that will never leave you. So in a few moments, um, when when people come and their ashes are uh, placed on your forehead, with the words, to dust you've come and to dust you will return. Oftentimes, it's a super bleak statement. I had somebody tell me, they're like, I usually skip Ash Wednesday because it's a major bummer. And I was like, well, I guess there's some truth to that. I wake up with this look on my face, so maybe this is why they had me do Ash Wednesday. But don't miss the point. This is the important piece. It's not meant to be a bleak statement. It's a reminder that this life, not that this life is meaningless because it goes away that this life is meaningful because it's a blessing. It's a blessing that we can live with Jesus. The ash on your forehead is the symbolism of recognizing. It's saying that I know that it's not just about the fact that my life ends in this stage at some point in some time. It's that I get to live my life with Jesus now. And that ash that represents death, it's in the form of a cross because it's pointing to the cross. It's pointing to the fact that our life may end, but our life is eternal in Jesus. It's pointing to the fact that while life might seem transient, it's about the fact that life never ends because of the death of God. God going to the cross for us, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating darkness. This whole Lenten season is about that story of this guy that everybody thought was just here to do a bunch of miracles, maybe say a bunch of cool stuff because he was really smart. And instead it ended up being God putting on skin and bone to teach us not just how to live and love each other, but to defeat the very sin and death that would ever aim to hold us down. So it's not a, uh, a reminder that life ends. It's a reminder that life goes on from today on in a new way with new life because of, of what Jesus has done for us. Back in our uh, our Bible verse for today, um, we left off kind of around, I think like verse 10. So Jesus has basically had this big, huge argument. I think this is a uh, God with a sense of humor. He's like, they're like, we want you to do this big miracle, but you can't say that his sins are forgiven. And he's like, yeah, I can. I can do whatever I want, basically. And then um, Jesus says I have the fr- that I have the ability to address the deeper issue. I have the ability to forgive sins. And then he turns around to the guy. and goes, okay, get up, take your mat, and go home. <laughs> like, that's what they wanted the whole time anyway. Go, go ahead. After this whole argument, he says, Andy got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. He said, this amazed everyone. Uh, And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Friends, don't miss the point. They're not amazed because of the miracle. It's not because the guy got up, they were amazed. They were amazed that they were witnessing a guy that they thought was just there to put on a show. And instead he talked about how he was gonna address the deepest, darkest parts of people's hearts. And not only does he do that, that then he can just also do the miracle thing. People had never seen anything like that before. There had never been anything like that before. Lent is all about realizing the story and stepping into new life. There's some practices surrounding Lent, right? Some really good practices. Um, A lot of people, uh, like John mentioned earlier, give things up for Lent. Uh, I remember wanting to give up soda for Lent once, And I, like, forgot for a second and, like, drank a soda and then, like, spit it out because I was like, I am going to, like, really do this thing. Um, It's a good practice. It's good to step into health, step into better things. But I would actually uh, provide for you, for all of us here this evening, uh, wherever you might be sitting, the invitation that's a little bit different. This Lenten season, how can you cut through the surface and truly allow God to meet you where you are? Um, one of the famous practices that happens is um, a lot of people, for example, if you you maybe give up drinking for um, for these these days of Lent, uh, because you know it's it's something maybe I I, I don't need to do in the season. I'm going to give it up to God. All of those different things, and that's really nice and that's really great. But then all of a sudden, um, the invitation is to go deeper. Well, when do you do that? Well, I do it after work when I'm really stressed. Oh, interesting. So why are you so stressed at work? Well, I don't really feel like I'm actually contributing to anything. I don't actually feel loved or seen at work. I don't feel like what I'm doing matters. Do you see what's happening here? It it was actually not about the thing you're giving up, whether that's stress eating or drinking or giving up candy or um, not swearing at somebody. You know, all of these different practices, if you go a little bit farther down, like the line to ask the question, to try to figure out what the question is behind the question. Usually it's not about that front thing at all. I don't, you know, I don't drink too much because, you know, it's it's just not healthy. Actually, it's because you're struggling inside because you feel alone because you don't know if you're worth it. That's a much different thing. That is allowing God to meet you where you are. So whatever that thing you're giving up this year, I pray for the strength that you would get to do that. Absolutely. But the invitation is to see a little bit deeper. What's behind that desire? What's behind that practice? What's behind that thing that we'd like to stop? How can we allow Jesus to meet us where we are this Lenten season? God sees through our masks and our walls and meets us where we really are. Always, always and always will. There's nothing that we can do to separate us from God. There's nothing. We worship a God that loves us so much that no matter what kind of fakeness we try to put up, whether that's at church or at work or with our friends or do we try to put the Instagram filter of life uh, everywhere we go, no matter how often we try to do that, God sees us to the center of that, doesn't judge us for it, but loves us in spite of it, and, don't miss this point, inspires to bring us out of it because we worship a God who is ahead of us, waiting to lead us into a life that only God could dream. God sees through our masks and our walls and meets us where we really are. Amen. Let's stand as we prepare our hearts for communion. You see, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he was with his friends. This is kind of the culmination of the story of this Lent season that we're entering. He's with all of his friends, and they were at dinner. And he said, this bread is uh, my body. It's broken for you. So take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember my story. Likewise, after dinner, he took the cup. and He says, this wine is the blood of my covenant. It's, it's the symbol of the promise that I've made for you. Take and drink for the forgiveness of sins for this new life. Take and drink, everybody, and do this in remembrance of me. Jesus also taught us uh, this very old prayer. Uh, we'll have it on the screen. And as we come to the table together, we will all pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Before you sit down, I'll give you just a few quick instructions. So um, I'll invite um, the communion servers to come forward. uh, There's going to be a couple of stations. First of all, communion is open to anybody here who just wants a little bit more of that life. Regardless of whether this is completely new to you or not, uh, this practice is for those who are looking to enter into Lent, enter into the story of Jesus, to live just a little bit more. What's going to happen is there will be somebody with the wafer. You'll take the wafer and you'll dip it in the grape juice, which is light, and the wine, which is dark. and and then you can go ahead and eat that. There will be an additional uh, station, a person there, that will be distributing ashes and the sign of the cross on your forehead to ash you've come, to ash you will again return. Remember, this is something that we remember that we're stepping into, this invitation for new life. Amen. Go ahead.